0: Then would you guys turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13? I want to give a shout out to my wife. I'm amazed at what she does as a wife and mom. This morning she got up and worked a shift for the city. Came home to a kid who cut his finger open and had to get stitches. Took him to urgent care, got him stitches, and she's back to encourage me as I preach the word today. What an amazing woman. She's texting me now. She's like, don't you ever do that again. It's too late. So amazed. Man, the world is a better place because of moms. I don't know how they do it. I'm so thankful. And, uh, you know, if you're a mom here, we just applaud you and honor you for uh, what you do and the way you serve and care for your family. You are so critical to the success and the forward movement and all that God has planned for us today. We're going to take a look at a really important story in the Old Testament, and hopefully we'll draw some things from it. It's the account of when the children of Israel have come out of Egypt through that miraculous deliverance which God provided for them. And they are on the edge of the promised land to move into the plan and purpose that God had for their life, to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. But things did not go uh, really as they should, and we're going to take a look at that and just dissect the story a little bit. A couple years ago, back in 2016, a son and daughter-in-law served as full-time missionaries in the Middle East. They were in Amman, Jordan, which is a 99.9% Muslim nation. And they'd gone with a team of people to learn the language and to share the gospel. And uh, my son and daughter-in-law uh, with their team had been there for about a year and a half, and I got invited to go visit them. So I jumped at the opportunity to go. And some people are like, aren't you scared to go to the Middle East and all those things? And I was talking to my son about this while he's over there. And he says, Dad, I feel safer walking the streets of the Middle East than I do downtown Chicago. So if that puts anything in perspective for you. And, uh, and so... I go to visit him, and we're touring the nation of Jordan, and I'm watching, you know, what's taking place, and this is largely lost group of people that do not know the hope of Jesus, and yet it's such a historically rich place. There's, there's a lot of what just took place in the Bible narrative that took place in that area, and while we were there, we went down to The southern part, the southernmost part of the nation of Jordan, which is sandwiched between Saudi Arabia and Israel. And I can look out and see Egypt and the Sinai Peninsula. And we're actually on the Red Sea. There's a little port city called the Port of Aqaba, which is on the Gulf of Aqaba, which is ultimately part of the Red Sea. And while I'm there, I go out into the water and I'm imagining... This is the body of water. I don't have to imagine this really actually happened. But this is the body of water that the Lord miraculously parted for the children of Israel to come out of 400 plus years of bondage into a place of freedom and wholeness like Pastor prayed today and to the promises and purposes of God for their life. How many of you, you want to enter into the promise and the purpose that God has for your life? We all should. That should be a desire that works in our heart. And and today I, I want to share this story. So what happened was the children of Israel, God had worked this miraculous deliverance for them. And yet while they were coming out of Egypt and after they had come out of Egypt and while they're in the wilderness, um, there were some challenging moments. And their tendency when things got hard is they would complain and they ultimately wanted to kill their leader. <laughs> It's like, does that sound familiar? You know, and so they're they're complaining and they're murmuring to the Lord, and the Lord's not really happy with their complaining, and uh, and yet the Lord continues to lead them, and He brings them to the edge of the Promised Land, and He commissions the nation of Israel uh, through Moses, their leader and says, hey, I want you to send out 12 spies, one spy from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, someone who's a leader, and I want you to have them cross the Jordan and go into the promised land that I've promised to the nation of Israel and to spy it out. So they go for 40 days. They come back to Moses and to the congregation of Israel, and they bring this report, and that's where we pick up the story today today. In Numbers chapter 13, in verse 25, it says this, And when they returned from spying out the land, at the end of forty days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites are all living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan." Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against these people. For they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we see in it are men of great size. There we also saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight— And so we were in their sight. Now this is an amazing story. Scripture teaches that God watches over his word to perform it. The word of God is holy. And when God speaks, he intends to fully keep his promise and to keep his words. Now, there was an interesting dynamic in the Lord's relationship with the children of Israel. He had spoken promises to them. They had a job. They had a responsibility uh, to the Lord in seeing the promises of God fulfilled for their generation at their time. I don't know about you, but as I think about God's plans for people's lives and churches and communities and regions of the earth, I think it's a really important thing that we dial into, that there's actually a purpose to our lives. I think sometimes we wonder, what is this all about? What's the meaning of life and why do I exist? And I want to assure you, God has a plan. We want to talk to the Lord about that plan, and we want to be sensitive to what that is. And at the end of the day, God's heart is for people. God doesn't position us so that we will fail and that we will fall short, but he positions us in a place so that if we'll trust him and we'll allow him to lead us with childlike faith, He'll bring us into our purpose, and into our destiny. And this is where the children of Israel had found themselves. Even though it had been a difficult journey for them, God had spoken very clearly through the miracles and the signs and the wonders that he was deeply concerned for them. And you might wonder in your own life today, is God really concerned about me? Does God really care about me? And I assure you, God cares deeply about you. I assure you, if you look at the cross and you look at what Jesus did, he did that for you because he loves you and he cares about you. Scripture teaches that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. We are that joy, the joy of relationship with our creator, walking in dynamic partnership to see the plans and purposes of God fulfilled for our life. The Lord had promised in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, he says this, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and bring them them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land that will flow with milk and honey. If you ever get a chance to go to Israel, I want to encourage you to do so. There is no place on earth like Israel. When you go to the nation of Israel, it is a special place. There's just this sense of not only just the nearness of the Lord, but the blessing of God that rests on that land. Even in the midst of the conflict and the turmoil that takes place in the Middle East, when you're there, I don't know how to describe it. I know Pastor and Jolene have been there a few times. It is a special place. So If you get the opportunity to go, I encourage you to take advantage of that. But it's a blessed land. And God God blessed the land, not just for the sake of the land, but for the people who would inhabit the land, that they would experience the fullness of his plan and his purpose. Now, unfortunately, because of the fear that the children of Israel were experiencing at this time what they saw when they went to spy out the land. They were so afraid that they did not believe that God would actually give them this land of promise. And I want to kind of boil down today, what was the issue that kept them from going into the promised land at that time. Now, we have the benefit of having the Bible in our hands, and we know that ultimately, it wasn't now, but 40 years later, the children of Israel actually did cross over the Jordan as a nation and enter into the promises of God. But God's plan was that this current generation that we're reading about right now were the ones that were going to go in and inherit the promises of God. And so I want to unpack this a little bit. I want to consider what was going on And why did they miss out? And really, from my perspective and my understanding of this story, if you read, there's a key verse. It says in uh, Numbers chapter 13, verse 33, it says, uh, we saw the giants of the land, and we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so we were to them, or to the enemy's eyes. The Israelites struggled with their identity. Now, let me ask you a question. Were they grasshoppers? No, they weren't grasshoppers. They were the children of God. How many of you in this room, Romans 8, talks about this, for those of us that are born again, that you personally identify as God's child, right? It says in Romans 8, I believe 14, it says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so they weren't grasshoppers, they were children of God. And the thing that I, I believe was kind of the, uh, the driving reason for why the Israelites struggled so greatly is, is they had a poor sense of self-worth, and their identity was marred. Have you ever met somebody or had interacted with somebody that you could tell there was a struggle with their identity? They weren't sure of who they were? Have you ever had that How many of you in those teenage years that were so tumultuous, you weren't sure of who you were? right? Am I going to be this way? Am I going to be that way? And trying to figure out your identity and who you are as a person, this is common because of the fallen world that we live in, the insecurities that uh, are in the atmosphere, if I can say it that way, that cause people to question who they are and what their life's all about. And one of the things that you and I need to recognize in our lives, we need to understand that we of and in ourselves, we don't define our identity, We don't just choose who we are, who we're going to be. Actually, God chose that for us. In the garden, we read that when God created man, he created him in the image of God. And so when we think about who we are as a people, number one, we're created in the image of God. And so the children of Israel, I would suspect, because of the pain of their past, struggled with seeing themselves as such. And this was not a good thing. And uh, you think about someone who has been through trauma, You know, we read this story, and we read the Exodus account, in the Bible, and it might take us an hour to read the story. But for the children of Israel, this wasn't lived out in an hour. This was lived out over the course of 430 years' time. And this was really drawn out. And with each successive generation that lived in Egypt, the cruelty and the abuse only intensified. For generation after generation after generation, up until 400 years, time goes by. The children of Israel cry out to God, and God raises up Moses as a deliverer. So it's reasonable to understand And to believe that the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt going into the promised land, they had some baggage with them. How many of you guys, when you came to Jesus, you were toting a little bit of baggage with you when you came to Jesus, right? Whatever it was, it may have been an anger issue or it might have been your mouth. You know, one of the things that happened, I was a soldier and I had a terrible mouth. I know it's hard to believe, but I had a terrible mouth. And when I got saved, I was like, the Lord took that away from me. I didn't struggle with that. But I did struggle with other things. Now, every once in a while on the golf course, some of that stuff comes back out. So if, if you think highly of me, just play a of golf and you'll see the real Scott on the golf course. But really, for the children of Israel, they had been through a lot. And there was a great, I think because of the dehumanizing experience that they went through for generation after generation, it affected them psychologically. Mentally, they were not well. And they had been through so much abuse. And sometimes I think we don't capture this when we read this account uh, of the story. But there was something there that was dominating their life that actually altered their identity. You know, if you've come across somebody, or maybe you've experienced this yourself, but you've been through a lot of difficulty and it started to shape you in a negative way. For the children of Israel, the past had begun to define them. And I want you to know that god doesn 't intend for the past experiences that you 've been through to define and shape your life. God wants to be the one to shape your life. His word is the thing that is supposed to define who we are and this is really, really important and so the children of Israel they struggled and there was a propensity to be negative and to be complaining um, because of what they and I understand that you go through a hard time your whole life, generation after generation, you know it can be kind of a bummer and Every time you talk to him, it's just kind of like a complaint, it seems like. But the Lord cared deeply for the children of Israel. He cares deeply for people today who are suffering and struggling. And I think one of the things about this story that we need to understand in the account, the Exodus story, is that the Lord communicated loud and clear over and over and over again to the children of Israel that I love you. And I care about you, and I am deeply committed to you. Think about it. Think about the ten plagues that God poured out on Egypt. Think about the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. Think about the fact that God guided the children of Israel with a a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Think about the fact that the Lord supernaturally sustained the children of Israel while they were in the wilderness with manna to provide for them. Every one of those things I described just communicates to the children of Israel, the benefactors of all those things, was that God loves them. Your creator cares about you and he's deeply concerned about what's going on in your life. For some reason, when the children of Israel went in to spy out the promised land, all of the pain of the past, I would imagine, started to grip them again. The fear of abuse. The fear of if we go into this land and we take on this enemy who is certainly bigger than us, he's going to overcome us. This isn't going to go good for us. As a matter of fact, I want to read a couple of uh, passages from Numbers 14, the following chapter. So if you've got your Bible, just turn over to the next chapter. In Numbers 14, this is what the children of Israel said. It's they said, Would that we have died, verse 2 and 3, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? The answer to that is an obvious no. It wouldn't be better for you to return to Egypt. But they were so afraid And they were so gripped. And I think about how much fear was influencing their lives. You know, fear is ugly. Fear is spiritual. If you think about what's going on right now on the earth, all around the world, fear is a really big... Fear is having a heyday right now. And there's a spirit of fear that's been unleashed over the earth right now that is controlling entire governments and people groups and things like that. And Scripture is clear. Listen, as God's people, he has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and sound mind. Someone who is walking in soundness of mind is not afraid. Look at the Gospels. Look at the stories when everyone else is freaking out and Jesus isn't. When Jesus is the only one who's in his right mind and everyone else is scared to death. But God wants us to walk in that same soundness of mind that we see in the life of Christ as it's lived out in the Gospels. And this is really, really important. So the children of Israel are struggling greatly and, and uh, it's just it's hard for them. And the pain of their past and the fear has gripped them and they're afraid of what's going to happen. And if you drop down, you think about this. Look, I want you to go down to verse 11. We'll read it in a second. But if you think about this, you know, I think sometimes when we think about uh, trauma and what people deal with in their lives, you know, there's sometimes there's, there's the attitude that we can have towards people who have been through difficulty, and it's like, well, just get over it. And that's not very kind, and it can be very unloving for a person who's been through something very difficult to hear something like that. And I'm not suggesting that's the way that we should relate to people who have been through trauma There is actually a pathway of healing and restoration that God wants to bring people through. And it's ultimately rooted in the fact, the cure for the trauma that we go through in life, the healing is rooted in the fact that God loves us. And if God loves us, it's like Pastor Pray today. There's a day coming, do you know? Jesus is going to come back. He's literally going to step foot on the earth again. He's going to begin to take every wrong thing and make it right can I get an amen? I mean, that's good preaching. The Lord's coming back, and he's going to make all the wrong things right. And today, you and I, as image bearers of God, anointed with the Holy Spirit, as children of God, we are called to see God's kingdom come. And we pray it, and we believe God for it, and we begin to take steps in that direction. But there is a fullness of time coming when the Lord's going to come and take all the wrong things and make them right. The pain of our past The Lord doesn't want it to be a reason or an excuse for why we can't enter into the promise of our destiny. God knows our past and he's made provision for our healing and our wholeness. And if you're today, if you're here and you've been through difficulty and you feel like the past is dogging you and pulling, I just want to encourage you. The Lord wants to help move you forward. God wants to heal you. He cares deeply about you and he knows how to minister to you where you're at. When we look at verse 11 of Numbers chapter 14, we get some insight on the Lord's perspective and the way that he is relating to the children of Israel and what his expectations are at this moment when he had commissioned them to send the spies into the promised land to spy it out. It's not good. In verse 11, the negative response here from the Lord. He says, "The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me, and how long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst?" That's a difficult thing to hear. If you know your own weakness at times and your tendency to draw back, is anybody here you feel like you've been on the edge of a breakthrough, the edge of entering into an aspect of God's plan and purpose in your life, only to get derailed just before you enter into that. Has anybody had those experiences in their life? And you know, the Lord wants to help us. He wants to bring us forward in that. But It's rooted in a couple things here. It's like that we need to believe in him. We need to believe him and that he's actually committed to our best interest. The children of Israel, when they sent spies into the promised land, that wasn't their idea. God had commissioned them to do that in that moment. The Lord was leading them in that direction. And as he was leading them, he expected them to trust him and to trust his leadership. How many of you know, sometimes in parenting, I'm telling my kids, this is just the way it is. This is what we're doing. And they're looking at me, it's like, well, I don't think that's the best plan. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry you don't think it's the best plan, but that's what we're doing. And you just need to trust me. And it may be 10 or 15 years until you realize that maybe you needed to trust me more when you were growing up, but I know something you don't know about this situation. So we're gonna go this way, or we're gonna do this. And you know, God, fortunately, we have this understanding and we need to be reminded of it. The Lord is already in tomorrow. He's already there. He already sees what's going to happen. He knows how things are going to play out. And when the Lord had called the children of Israel to go into the promised land, he knew that he was there to walk through the battle with them and to bring them forward. And so I want to to make three points about identity today that are really, really important. And our identity and the lost sense of identity that the children of Israel had when they were afraid. And the first one is this, and this is, I know this might sound trite, but this needs to actually get into who we are as a people. It's this, it's that we are loved by God. We are deeply, deeply loved by God. It's a part of who we are. If I'm talking to you, and we spend time together, and we have a cup of coffee, and we start to do life together a little bit, at some point, If you identify as being loved by God, it's going to come out in the conversation. It's going to come out. There's something going to be uh, communicated through your life that you are confident that God loves you. Now listen, you might say, well, that's such an arrogant thing to say. I want you to know God doesn't love me because I'm such a good guy. God loves me because he made me and he created me in his image. And God loves me. And that's a core part of who we are as people. It's like when somebody asks you who you are, you might give them your name you might tell them a little bit about what you do vocationally or where you're from, and that's all part of who you are, certainly. But the deeper things about who are you as a person is, number one, you're loved by God. And I actually try to do this. If people talk to me, I, I want people to know that I know that God loves me because it affects me. If you do parenting studies or you take a parenting class, which is good to do, and One of the things it talks about the effect of children's behavior is the quality of relationship between the mom and the dad. If the mom and dad are in good relationship with one another and there's a sense of peace in the home, the kids seem to be more peaceful. Okay, so if you see my kids acting up, just pray for my marriage. But because there's this this peace that's transferred over to the kids when mom and dad are doing good, and they sense that there's love in the home, and, and they do well with that. And so this is really, really important. The Apostle Paul, it was critical to the Apostle Paul that he communicate to the church that they would understand the love of God. And he prays this way. If you can look, there's a prayer he records in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. I'm going to read the prayer, but you'll see the emphasis as I read this. And it says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power. How many of you want to be strengthened by God's power? through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, listen to this, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God." Paul saw this as a critical issue in the church, that the church would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. I would suggest to you today, if the children of Israel had been grounded in their understanding, grounded in their soul, their mind, and their emotions, and their will, if they had been grounded in the love of God, they would have had no problem going in and taking the promised land. God loves us, and it's a part of our identity, and we need to cast off anything that is contrary to that, any thought that God doesn't really love us. When I first came to the Lord back in the early 1990s, I was reading my Bible, and I was praying, but I sometimes I would blow it, and I still blow it today sometimes, and I thought this about God. I thought that when I sinned, God just loved me. I, th- I, can- I continued to believe that he loved me, but I thought he loved me just a little bit less. And I would actually have these conversations with myself, and what I would try to do is was I would try to get God to love me more so I'd work just really hard at trying to be a better Christian. And the reality is this, is that there's nothing you and I can do to get God to love us more. Scripture teaches that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can love God because he first loved us. God loved me. God loved Scott when I didn't care about him, when I wasn't thinking about him, when I wanted to live my own life according to my own rules and do things on my terms, and I could care less what God thought about me, and God still loved me, and he sent his son to die for me. So how much more do we need to wrap our minds around and own the fact that God loves us? And so I want you to identify that way. When people talk to you about who you are as a person, it's okay to let it leak out a little bit. Hey, you know what? God really loves me. God really loves me. What if we started to identify that way? How would that affect our attitude? How does that get the blahs off of us? You know what? I might be having a hard day, but God loves me. The world may seem like it's falling apart, but God loves me. This cool thing happened. I I want to tell you about what God did for me. God spoke to me, or God did this. God put this person in my life. He put Ed in my life to encourage me. You know, whatever it is. And just to point to the fact that God loves us. If you survey your life, and you just look around your life, there's plenty of cause to see and recognize God loves you. It's a part of who you are. Amen. Amen. The next thing I want to talk about, the second point I want to make, and the worship team, if you guys would prepare to come up, that'd be great. You can come on up. Is this, when we talk about our identity and entering into God's plan and promise for our life and knowing who we are as people, it's that we have been empowered. You know, you and I as Christians, we don't have all power. God has all power. How many of you know that? God's all powerful. We celebrate this in our lives. God's all-powerful. We don't have all-power, but we do have a measure of power. We do have a measure of authority that he's given to us, and he expects us to use that. You know, God's not obligated to fulfill our potential. He'll appeal to our potential. He'll come to us and put his arm around us, so to speak, and say, you know, I know you can do this. I'm going to help you move into your destiny, into the plan and purpose I have on your life. But at the end of the day, we still have to say yes to this. We have to agree with this. We have to get on board with what God's plan and purpose are. We have to surrender to him and just trust him, even when it's hard and it's difficult and we're scared at times. You know, God gives us Authority. In Luke chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, This, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Doesn't that sound like an empowered people? We're not powerless, we're not helpless, we're not hopeless. We have power. Ephesians chapter 1, great apostolic prayer by the Apostle Paul. He said he prayed for the church this way. I don't have the scripture in the slides, but he said he prayed that we would know the hope of our calling. He says the inheritance that's inside the saints. And then he goes on, he makes this interesting statement. He says in this indescribable great power that's directed towards us who believe. God's power is directed towards us who believe. And then he takes that power and he gives it to us and he gives us authority to use that power to overcome the works of the enemy. I'll read it again. Luke ten nineteen. Behold, I have given you authority to trample or to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Amen. How many of you are thankful your name's recorded in heaven? You know, today, one of the things as I was preparing and the Lord just laid this message on my heart, I believe it's for a reason. I believe that the Lord is appealing to us to not forget the promises and the promptings and the things that he's spoken to us about our lives and the dreams that maybe he's given to you years ago that You need to dust off again and continue to believe God for to see fulfilled in your life. This is so important. You know, Scripture teaches without vision, God's people cast off restraint. We kind of go our own way. But if you get a vision for your life and for what God's plan is for your life, it gives you something to latch on to and to hold on for and believe God for. Your life will take on purpose and focus, intentionality, and it's a good thing. God has a plan and a purpose. And that's the last point I want to make today is that God has a plan. It's a part of our identity. There is a plan for your life. First part of my identity is I am loved by God. The second thing is is I've been empowered by God. I have a power and authority given to me by the Lord over the works of the enemy. He says it right here in Luke chapter 10. And the third thing is is there is a plan for my life. There's a plan for your life. Ephesians 2.10, it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. There are good works that God has planned for our life. And we have to believe that. We have to believe that personally for our lives. It's not just this ambiguous, ethereal thing. It's sincere and genuine. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you're not sure about what that plan or that purpose is, I want to encourage you, talk to the Lord. Ask Him to speak to you. He'll remind you. He'll remind you. There's this verse in Romans chapter 11. It says that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. God hasn't changed His mind about what He wants to do with your life. You might be a little slow on getting on board with what God's plan is for your life, but I want to encourage you: take it seriously. One day we're going to stand before the Lord, and I want to be able to, with integrity. And you're not that you're not going to you'll never be able to lie to the Lord. But I want to be able to stand before the Lord and say, God, to the best of my ability, I did what I believe You called me to do. And you know, there's some times I've gotten off track of that. There's some times I've wandered away from that in my life, and I've repented. I said, God, forgive me. I've allowed the enemy to get me off track. I've I've feared what Satan was doing more than trusting in your unfailing love for me in these situations, and God, and I repent, and I turn back to the Lord, and God begins to set me back on that path to see his plan and his purpose fulfilled for my life. You know, I love this song that we sing in worship today. It says, Lord, make me more aware of your presence. You know, for the children of Israel, when they came to the edge of the promised land, God was with them, but they forgot about it. When they spied out the land, they forgot about it. They forgot who was with them. So they thought they were going to have to overcome this enemy all on their own. But God was saying to them, I'm with you. I will help you to overcome. So we need the Lord to help us to make us aware of his presence. Lord, today... Father, I I pray that you would help us, that you would help your church. Lord, that we would be secure in our identity. Lord, that we would be rooted and grounded in your love for us. Lord, let that be a part. Let, let, Let that define us the way that you intend for it to define us. Lord, this great truth. Lord, we are the object of your affection. You care deeply for us. Lord, I ask that you would touch our hearts with that. Lord, that we would be a people that, regardless of how we feel, that we would be rooted and grounded in this great truth that we are loved by God. Lord, help us to know that you have empowered us. Lord, that we don't have to fall prey to the enemy's schemes to destroy our lives but that we would rightly use the authority that you've given us to overcome the works of the enemy in our lives. That we would not tolerate, Lord, what the enemy's doing, but we would have discernment of how and when to exercise this authority and the right way to do it. But, Lord, at the end of the day, that, Lord, you would shine bright in our circumstances and that you would get the glory. And Lord, I pray also, I ask that, Lord, there's every person in this room, it says in Ephesians, that you have prepared in advance good works for them, that they would walk in them. And so, Lord, we want to walk in every good work you have ordained for us. Lord, give us a sensitivity. Give us a yieldedness. Give us a desire, Lord, to do your will. Quicken to us those things that are specific to us and the good works that you want us to do. And, Lord, through all that, let us do it out of a place of wholeness in our own soul. Lord, and uh, God, just be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today, and I've spoken about all these things about the Lord, and you are not born again, you don't identify as a born-again Christian, the Lord is appealing to you today. He wants to invite you into the family of God. And the way that you do that is that you place your trust in Him. You receive by faith the work that Christ... Finished for you and I on the cross. Jesus came to die for sinners. And we've all sinned. Every one of us has sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all made mistakes. And because of that, our relationship as a as a as a race of people, as a human race, was broken with God. And Christ came to see that restored. That's good news. Jesus was crucified, he was dead and buried, and he was raised from the third day. And now he's ascended and he's with the Father fully God, fully man, who paid the price for us. If you believe the gospel message, you can be born again, and you'll enter into the family of God, and you can begin to engage and see the, the good works and the plan and the destiny that God has planned for your life take place. And so at the end of the service, Pastor Steve and myself will be up front. We'd be happy to talk to you about this. If you're not sure, you want somebody to kind of help you understand this a little bit more, we'd love to do that. But I hope that today you're encouraged. I hope that you're encouraged in your relationship with the Lord and you're convinced now more than ever that God loves you, he's empowered you, and he's got a plan for your life. So Father, today, I bless your people. I pray that, Lord, you would strengthen them. I pray that when they go from this place, I ask that they would feel the life quickening, strengthening of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And, Lord, that they would not settle for the lies of the enemy and all the things that the enemy wants to do to to, uh, deceive them, but that they would believe you and take you at your word. It says, Lord, that you are the glory and the lifter of our head. And so, Lord, this week, help us. Lord, lift our heads. Help us to see things the way they really are. In Jesus' name, amen.